Most cuss words are in the Bible. So we use them too. Be advised. Hey y'all, I'm Jen. I'm from Oakland and I'm a queer black feminist scholar. This is Darren, hailing from the mean streets of Anaheim. I'm an introvert, a novelist, and a nerd. We're early 30-somethings with three kids and over a decade of marriage. This is a podcast about the realities of blackness and adult life. We do adult differently. This is That Black Couple. Hello, my friends. It's been a while. And we're back. We back. So... I would like you to grab a beer, but I can't tell you which one to grab because I don't drink beer and I don't actually drink very much at all. So whatever beer you prefer. Get you a craft beer. Don't know what that means. I don't either, but I hear that's the way to go. When you say craft, I think four young ladies in uniforms who are witches conjuring spirits. That's the only craft I know. (laughs) Do you know another craft? Craft macaroni and cheese. That's nasty and that's what a gay. Close enough. And I don't eat that either. No. So, I mean, Heineken, that's a beer. Heineken, that's that's the bougie. Heineken is bougie? Yeah, that's the bougie beer. That's expensive. Heineken is expensive? Yeah. Budweiser? Is that expensive? That's like that's like mid-grade. Listen, I have drank two beers in my life. One was a Corona and the other one was a Corona with a lime in it. That's it. That's all I got. Okay. Well, and I told you, me, I saw so. that IPA truck the other day, and I was like, I know what that is. I have no idea what IPA is. No, you don't. I just know it probably had beer in it. Because all the bougie, like the white guys, whenever they be talking about beer, they're like, oh, yeah, that, that IPA. And I'm like, what's the girl? So I'd be like, listening. I'd be like, eavesdropping. Because I'm like, this is some bougie. Like, this is like when you learn the golfing words and shit. When they're like, you know, have you gone to the golf store and checked out that new, what's the thing they hit the ball with? The new, the new club. Uh, the new iron. The new, the new five the iron. New, the new five iron. The new driver. <laughs> and I see IPA and I'm like, this one of the white people thinks. It's, it's a, it's, it's a cultural anthropological study. And so when I see the IPA track, I'd be like, ooh, girl, I wonder what they about to do. You know, it's like when you want, when you really want to understand what the, what the. What they be doing, you know? Just follow the IPA track. That's how you learn. <laughs> no? You're a hot mess. Anyway. <laughs> this is that black couple. <laughs> and we are not drunk. And we are not drunk. <laughs> We're very sober. This is Jen. And this is Darren. And we're about to get started on episode seven. So today, we're talking about mental health matters. And before we get started... I want you to make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple on Facebook at that black couple and look us up on the internets at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And don't forget to rate us high because we are the personification of black excellence. That's so extra. 
I mean, it's, it's true. true though. Though. I, I detect I mean, no lies. Yeah, it's true. So. so on today's episode, we're talking about mental health matters and how we have to remove the stigma attached to seeking help for mental health issues, especially in communities of color and especially for black Americans. In the first things first segment, we'll be talking about how mental health has played a role in our personal lives. Then in the conversation, we'll lay out a litany of stats, literally a litany of stats to discuss the seriousness of mental health within black communities. And finally, in the reflection, we'll go over the ways you can seek help and be helpful to those in our lives who may be working through mental health illness issues. We have written a few articles at watercoolerconvos.com covering today's topics, and we'll also cover some sources from around the web. We'll make sure to drop those links in the show notes for you. All right, let's get started. Let go. All right, so this topic is a little rough for me, I have to admit. I think it's going to be a rough one all the way around. I think it is. I think because I feel like when we talk about mental health, we have to start thinking about the ways that we've normalized mental health and mental illness issues throughout our lives and kind of start thinking back to where we first saw signs of symptoms of mental illness for ourselves. And I know for me, I I think I always saw that I had anxiety and depression and probably some early signs of PTSD, even in childhood. But I didn't have the language for what they were. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't seeking a mental health professional. So I didn't actually have kind of the ability to identify how those behaviors or feelings were inherently different than what should have been happening for someone my age. Right. I mean, when, when you're a kid, you know, you think your life isn't the normal life. You think what you're experiencing, what you're feeling is kind of what everyone is experiencing. Right. And right. you have no way to gauge whether it's off or not. Right. Especially, I know for me, I mean, all my cousins look like me. Well, I was taller than all of them. Right. But, like, right. we all played together and we all did pretty much the same things. And so when you're around a pretty homogenous group of people, it's very difficult to see yourself as an outlier, you know, in those respects. So for me, I think the first time I actually saw myself as having a mental illness, like actually saying, okay, I actually have something going on that's different and chemically different was in high school. So in 10th grade was when my mom was officially kind of finding a new love and changing her life and spending less time at home and basically left my ass at home. Like I was working. So 10th and 11th grade by 11th grade, I was working at the gap and I would like go for weeks and not really see her. She would come home, pick up the mail. Like she paid the bills not always super on time. So there were times where there was no lights or the electricity would be out for a day or whatever. And I'd have to call her and be like, hey, the lights are out. But I mean, she was kind of a landlord for a lot of my junior year of high school. And it was a really difficult time for me because I was really trying to go to college. You know, I didn't have anybody in my immediate family who had gone to college. And my dad was pretty much absent. He had been absent since they divorced when I was four. So he kind of like, he would show up, but then he would not be around. So it was this really weird, like he, I knew he was alive at times. Then other times I'd be like, mom, is my dad still alive? Like that was literally a question. I'd be like, does my dad live anywhere? You know? 
And sometimes she didn't know, right? And um, he kind of turned up on a more permanent basis when I was 10. And after I was 10, he kind of stuck around. Like he was actually somewhere he had an address. I could kind of find him. Yeah. So I started going to see him on weekends and stuff. But, you know, for most of my childhood, I was it was just me and my mom. And so when I was like 15, 16, and she's kind of left, effectively left, and I'm home by myself, you know, there's no food in the house. I don't really know if I'm going to have electricity or lights. I'm pretty much by myself all the time. I didn't have a car and we were not wealthy. I didn't live like in the safest neighborhood. Exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, I lived in East Oakland, right? And I didn't live deep East Oakland, but I lived in East Oakland. And my house was very accessible. We had people move in underneath our house. We had people squat underneath our house. Like they could, you could walk all the way up and through our house. You can get access underneath our house. You could get into our backyard. I remember there was a time my, my bedroom was in the back window. You could look over our back gate into my back window. Like that's how accessible mm-hmm. it was. And it was terrifying as a, as a young girl. So, and I had people following me home from school. You know, I had a lot of stalkers. I had a lot of like older guys, older men who would be outside my front door. And when she left, I was really scared. Luckily, my brother had moved in, in the, um, the shed that we had, like the kind of like the, I always talk about this thing that my dad built in the back of the house, like a apartment kind of thing. And so a lot of that predatory behavior slowed down when he moved in. So he kind of protected me from a lot of that, which was great. But it was still terrifying because he also worked. He also had a life, right? He so he was yeah. right. So he was in his late twenties. So he wasn't like trying to babysit me either, you know. I'll never forget. I was actually at school one day. I went to Oakland Tech, and it was across town. So I lived in East Oakland, off of High Street, and I went to school at Oakland Tech, which is, which is in North Oakland, off of Broadway. So it was a long like bus ride I took every day. But what was really weird about that was my mom worked across the street. So I could actually look out from my biology class, look into the parking lot across the street, see her car there and know that she was in the parking lot, even if I had not seen her for a month or two, three weeks or whatever. So Mm. it was this really traumatizing and like triggering experience of like getting on the bus, going to school and and getting closer to her by going to school, knowing that she was across the street. And every time I would go to school, I would just get triggered and I would get like frustrated because I wanted to go over to her job and like say, you need to come home. But she worked for social services administration. So I couldn't do that because that, I mean, how does that look when you're working for social services and your kid's like, you don't come home anymore and the lights are off, you know? Yeah. And there's no food in the house and I've lost 20 pounds, you know? Like, it's not going to work. It's not going to fly. So I remember I was in, um, I think I was in 10th grade. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the teacher was the 10th grade. No, actually I was, yeah, I was in 11th grade, 11th grade English. And, um, I, I had called my mom and basically was just begging her to come home, like begging her to come home or whatever. And, uh, I would do that every day and I didn't have a cell phone that was like reliable. So I would call her from school and the teachers at school and the counselors would allow me to call her because I, I mean, I had been school president. I, I had like a 3.9 GPA or something like that. You know, it was like, I, I was actually like really engaged at school. Yeah. So, so they were like, Oh, well, you know, 
we know you. So if you're saying this is happening, we absolutely want to support you, you know? And not to say that they should have not supported somebody else, but that was their, that was their, I think, justification for, for supporting me at the time that they're like, there must be something going on because clearly you've lost weight. Clearly you're, you're randomly crying in the hallways. Your grades are slipping, you know? And I remember I just, I couldn't breathe. I was in class. We were learning about something. It was like world civilizations. It had nothing to do with my personal life or whatever. And I just start, I'm like crying and I could not breathe. I felt like my chest had like caved in and I'm like short of breath. I couldn't, you know, I I started getting pains in my chest, you know, and I have a heart condition. So for me, I'm freaking out. I'm like freaking out. And, um, I, this is the middle of class in the middle of class. And I'm just like crying and like heaving and everything, gagging, you know? So my teacher sends me over to call my mom and she, you know, she was nicer to me on the phone or whatever, because, you know, she was kind of worried about me, but she didn't even come across the street to come get me or nothing. You're like, she didn't even like, she was like, calm down, you know? And I remember being so traumatized by that whole event, but realizing that I was having an anxiety attack and not knowing or a panic attack, you know? Yeah. And not realizing what that was until years later when I started having them way more frequently in undergrad and, you know, when I was working in corporate America in grad school, you know, having repeated instances of having these panic attacks and not knowing that they were linked to anxiety and depression, you know? And like I was 15 or 16 when that stuff started happening, but clearly going through some very traumatic, you know, experiences. But I'm thinking now back to it, how people in the class, they, they were worried about me. But at the same time, we never talked about it again. We never really talked about it again. That's that's what honestly what strikes me is I'm I'm think as you're telling the story, I'm thinking, what is everyone else in the room experiencing, and what are they like? How are they reacting, and what are they doing? And then you're saying how it's like life goes on, right? And we just keep marching forward, right? Like nothing's happened, right? And I feel like that was my first time thinking about that was my first time like thinking about mental health and mental illness and going this might be something I should be thinking, you know, thinking about. And I had seen counselors and therapists and, you know, all types of psychiatrists and stuff before that, because, you know, when you're a black, queer bodied, queer girl who is not following the rules at a Catholic school, the first thing they do is pathologize you and say it's you. When clearly there's also some systemic issues in the classroom. Mm -hmm. When you have this domineering presence of a usually white woman who is trying to use me as a prop in the classroom. Like that's obviously going to cause some issues, but you know, me not wanting to go along with it. That's the problem. So when I was in elementary school, they sent me to a psychiatrist, a school psychiatrist. And she was like, ain't nothing wrong. Like she fine. And they sent me to another psychiatrist away from school. She was like, ain't nothing wrong with her. She fine. But then, you know, this trauma happens in high school. And I started to have these kind of moments where, I was realizing that I had all these kind of intersections of of trauma and of stress. And they only got worse after that point. So I feel like that was my entry point into talking about mental illness and understanding that it shows up in a lot of different ways. I think we often think that it's going to be something where we can just see it and go, that's it. That's mental illness. Found it. Yeah. You know? And, and we want it to be sexy. We want it to be something trendy. Like something you see on TV, like that movie, was it um, I Am Sam? Was that movie called I Am Sam? That was the that was the one. He he had um, 
hell's with the guy from um, Dark River? What's his name? Mystic River. Mystic River. Sean Penn. Sean Penn, yes. Yes, and that... that he, he was developmentally disabled. He was developmentally disabled. Yeah, yeah. And they made it so sexy looking, right? And he had all this access and all these resources, and he had a child. Yeah, they really did. And they, they, they like... They made they made mental illness look like just a matter of like tragedy and triumph, you know. Like you just have this one challenge, and you just gotta like push your way through it, and you get this one like savior person, and then you you win. And I'm just like, okay, girl, like <laughs> you know, and the whitening of mental illness as well. And I feel like that's one of those things where for me, I didn't always see myself as having mental illness because of images like that. Because what I was experiencing when I was sitting there, my chest is like feeling like it's caving in on itself. It wasn't sexy. I'm sitting there and I can't catch my breath and tears are falling down my face. And I'm like, all I'm, I'm bent over on the floor in my 11th grade classroom. It wasn't sexy and nobody thought it was sexy. But the fact that a lot of people also just didn't give a shit. Yeah. You know, they just also didn't give a shit and experiencing that over and over and over again, you know, in undergrad, you know, now in grad school, experiencing that in corporate America, you know, let me just burst into tears somewhere, you know, like that. Do you know how people would look at me if I had the nerve to have any type of anxiety or panic attack in public today? Yeah. And then it's like, it's like a weakness. It's like a weakness. Absolutely. It's not even just a weakness. It's a it's a fatal flaw, you know, and even and listen, listen, that's even from my own people, because that has happened where you take so much shit from somebody and then you can't take no more shit and you you do have a a break. And then it's like, oh, look, she had a break. So let's kick her out. Let's revoke her privileges. Let's, you know, pathologize her. She's aggressive. She's angry. She's dangerous. She had her hands up. She thinks they were behind her back. They were actually up. Let's turn her into this angry beast monster. She was actually about to hit this person. She was, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. We know what I'm talking about. I know exactly. We know exactly what I'm talking about. Exactly this is real life. What you're talking about. <laughs> right? Yep. And then so as a person who's moving through the world with a mental illness, Having to always manage that as well to try and manage the mental illness. And granted, I'm on medication for it now, which is spectacular. And I've, I've, I've luckily, luckily, I've gotten on medication now since not having any more children and not breastfeeding any more children, so I can do that. But having to manage not just the mental illness itself, but also the perception of the mental illness, and like trying to still be a professional person and be a graduate student. And be a mother and be a sorority member and be whatever else hat I'm wearing that day and be so concerned about because perceptions actually do matter, especially yep. when they're tied to my ends, to my coins, yep. to my bag, to my cash. And people will do that, too. They'll use mental illness as a reason to take money out your pocket, you know, to dock your money, to dock your paycheck. And it's like people don't understand like this shit is real. It's very real. <laughs> well, and I think that's the thing, though, is, is we could talk about this forever. I mean, we could, we could go on and on and forever. And, and even as you're talking, like, I, I have so many things that are just sparking, just mm-hmm. sparking and sparking and sparking. Like, I mean, I grew up in, in a lot of ways, I, w- I would say that people would probably paint as kind of like the golden boy. Mm-hmm. I mean, people said I was so great. I was so smart. I was athletic. I was everyone's best friend. You could rely on me. You know, my life was so stable. I was so great. 
whatever, whatever, whatever. I'm at a point now in my life where I'm seeing the fifth therapist that I've seen in my life uh-huh. over the, not even the last 10 years. It's been over 10 years, mm-hmm. almost probably about 13 years since I've started seeing therapists. Your first one was in college. First one was in college, actually freshman year of college. And yeah, I think it was I you. I sent you. Yeah, you sent me. You said, you need to go talk so to did. somebody. I so did. Right? And I've been seeing those bought this long line of five therapists for all of the exact same issues. Right. <laughs> and these were all issues that stem from my childhood, from coming up and just kind of living my life. And what I've come to realize is I was really, really great at just coping with everything. Coping. And I think that's why everyone kind of looked at me growing up and it's like, wow, he's just, he's just on a path to just be wonderful. Mm-hmm. Cause, cause I looked, I looked amazing. You were really good I about looked, cleaning up. I looked wonderful. Yeah. And it's because I, I could cope my way through anything. Yeah. And what, what happened was I had coped my way through life so well, I got to a point where I couldn't cope anymore. Right. And then everything started to kind of crumble and fall right. apart. Right. And I have now spent over a decade of my life trying to figure it all out, put it all back together, figure out who I am, what's important to me, what's real, what's not real. Right. You know, so much... Of my life, I spent on the coping aspect. Right. I didn't spend it on the actual me aspect of life. That's deep. And it's it's a really tragic thing to think about, I think, for a lot of people who have to walk through life that same way. Right. right? There are so many, so many issues and things that we grow up with. For me, it was, it was growing up. I grew up in a single mother household. I love my mother. She did a great job. Me too. But I had a father who was... And to some degree, a local celebrity, mm-hmm. you know, he was, he was taking pictures with Bill Clinton, mm-hmm. you know, he was Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks, you know, was, was staying in his house when mm-hmm. she came to the area, you know, she was sleeping in bedrooms in his house. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he was, he was a, a pillar of the community. He mm-hmm. was, he was building churches. Mm-hmm. You know, he was a known person, you know, you know, very, not even locally, nationwide. Is. Oh, he is. alive. Um, <laughs> and... I could talk about this for days, right? For days and days and days. Yes, but to re- to realize that this is I had I had a father who was a local, like I said, like a local celebrity, celebrity, very well known, very well off, lived probably about fifteen minutes from my house, right? But I saw very infrequently, right? And it wasn't that he was trying to act like I wasn't his child or that right. he didn't know I was there. It was just. I was almost kind of like a shadow child, mm. you know? And so to some degree, I, like you were saying, where you grow up as a child and you kind of think like your childhood is normal. For a long time, I thought, oh, this is, this is just how my life is built. This is how, you know, we, this is how we live. Right. And then there's a point where you become an adult. Right. And you look back and go, wait a minute. What girl? I was living my whole life. Right. Like that was normal. Right. And then you have to unpack all, all of shit. these things that you coped with. And every and the, cue. Every, every, every inexperience. Every lie that you that you made into a truth. Absolutely. Everything that you, you know, all you have to unpack all of that stuff for yourself and yeah. go, wow. Yeah. I wish when I was five. Right. I wish when I was ten. Right. We had had some discussions. Right. We had sat down. We had thought through. We had, you know, right. gone back and forth. We had really dealt with these things then so that I'm not now as an adult having to go backward and work through all of that stuff. Right. Right. 
And I think that's what happens with, with mental health, right? A lot uh, with mental health, it's like, it's like something you have to take care of all the time. All the time. You can't like the longer you wait to take care of it, the more difficult it is to address. And so that's why I'm, I'm here now. Like I said, I'm, I've been seeing therapists for a long time. I've Mm -hmm. spent a lot of time and money. (laughs) Yeah. A lot of time and money. And you were talking about breaks. I mean, we were just talking, I had a, I had a major break Mm -hmm. just a couple of weeks ago where I was like, I had quit. Right. I was like, I was done. I called you. I was boohooing on the phone. Right. Right. I was talking unintelligibly. I was like, I don't know what's up, down, left, or right. Right. Because, (laughs) because mentally I had just broken down. Right. And it happens. And it, and it happens. And I had to actually, I, I could see it coming and I had to go and exit and find like a private secret place. Right. So that I could have that breakdown. Right. So that I wouldn't have that negative impact that right you and you need to be able to call somebody who would be able to talk you through it without judging you and shaming right. you as well and that's the thing is sometimes people don't have that they don't have that or or like you said like you were in a classroom and you had that breakdown right and then you and then it's like oh my gosh people saw me in this state right what does that mean what do they think absolutely of me now? and luckily luckily i was blessed to have a teacher miss joe miss marietta joe open tech high school <laughs> who saved my life that day who rubbed my back, told me I was beautiful, talked to me about Zorno Hurston, and let me hang out in her class for a couple mm. more hours of the day until I was, until I felt better. But think about if I didn't have that, I don't know exactly. what I would do. And how many how many people don't have that? Exactly. How many people do have a negative reaction? Absolutely. How many people do you know lose lose employment or lose friends or lose lose family members or lose you know who knows what? Right. Because because of a mental health episode, and instead of getting that love and support, they right. get you know something taken away, right? Which just makes the whole thing worse. It makes it even harder to experience it in the future because then you're censoring yourself, right? And the censoring yourself can just make it even harder to manage every day. That's the thing when you're censoring yourself through mental health health issues and mental illness. It's even harder to manage mental health and illness, right? It's right. like how do you ever get better? How do you get better if you're trying to say no? I don't. I don't. I don't actually have to do that right now. I don't have this actual issue right now. Yes, you do. I do have a mental illness issue. I have it every day. I have anxiety every day of my life. And I have to say it all the time. I put it on my Instagram. Yo, I have anxiety and I'm taking medication and it's great. Like, I'm not going to sit here and like censor my mental illness because of other people's reactions to it. If it scares somebody, they got to go. Like, right. if they're like, oh, no, you, you're damaged goods because you have anxiety. You got to go. That's fine. You got to be. Bye. Have a great life. I wish you the best, but you can't be around. Because they're not going to be able to hang. No, they can't. They can't hang. And I'm not going to be healthy if they're around either. Thank you for listening. We are the proud founders of WaterCoolerConvos.com, a platform at the intersections of blackness, culture, and adulting. We started that black couple to dive deeper into the issues facing young black millennial folks navigating the anti-black, anti-queer, white supremacist world today. This podcast is supported by donations and patronage of our listeners and readers of our blog. You should head over there and check out some of the content when you get a chance. If you would like to become a monthly subscriber or patron and help fund our content, Sign up at www.patreon.com forward slash watercooler convos. Patreon is spelled P A T R E O N dot com. 
please consider giving $5 or $10 per month to help us build our platform and grow our organization. We really want to hire new writers and social media people, y'all, but we can't do that without your help. You can also give a one-time donation at www.paypal.me forward slash combos. All donations are welcome. You can stream the show on Google Play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. When you listen, please consider hitting that heart button, sharing an episode, giving us a five-star rating, and leaving some dope-ass comments. This helps us with our page views and also gives us more listeners for the show. Thank you so much. Let's get back to the show. All right. So now for the conversation. Yep. You know, usually what, what we've been doing recently for the conversation is, is, you know, I'll pull a couple stats to kind of help frame the conversation. Right. I kind of want to take that and kind of amp that up a little bit today. Right. I feel like with mental health, it's really important that we we really kind of learn a lot more of the information and the stats behind it. I agree. And I like to think that I'm a smart guy. But, you are. Uh, when I was doing the research for this episode, I found a lot of information that I actually didn't know beforehand. Um, so I thought, you know, let, let's share that with the listeners and then talk through some of the points. Okay. So to start off, I'm going to just kind of start globally and talk through some of the world mental health statistics. Okay. Just to kind of be really general. Number one, mental health illnesses are more common than cancer, diabetes, or heart disease. Mm. Number one, just just full stop. <laughs> like across the world, these kind of you know when you think about some of the some of the the diseases that as a human race we're kind of most concerned about, that, right? That we kind of think are global and affect everyone, right? You know, mental health has a has a larger impact th- than each of those. That's interesting. I think so. When when you said that, my first thought was that actually makes sense to me because I'm thinking about other countries and their risk of like cancer, diabetes, and heart disease, a lot of that is also linked to like dietary habits and other access to food and stuff like that, that we wouldn't be representative of in the U S. So it makes sense that mental illness would be actually a common thread across the globe because there's stuff that is still common, like the social and political problems that are present everywhere. Trump exists as a global phenomenon. Yeah, he does. Right. Brexit exists. You know, there's a lot of countries that are in utter turmoil. There is, you know, border issues in many countries. There's still war happening across the world. So it actually makes sense to me that rather than looking at cancer, diabetes, and heart disease as representative as a thread of illness across the world, mental illness would be a more common thing. Right. It, it makes sense. And I think, I think it's important to say out loud, though, because right. I think mentally we don't think of it that way. We don't. Like, I think we think, oh, my gosh, cancer. You know, we got to... St- Let's let's stomp out cancer, right, right? Right. Which number one, we gotta stomp out cancer. We absolutely do, right? Fuck cancer. But I think we we need to, we need to pay more attention to mental health. We too, absolutely right? do. But this this other point I think very important too. It was projected that by 2020, behavioral health disorders will surpass all physical diseases as a major cause of disability worldwide. Interesting. Oh my god, that's like three years from now. Yeah, it's very <laughs> soon. What's interesting about that is is I think the word disability. Right. And so we're talking about mental health. And a lot of times, you know, people think about mental health and I, I don't think they have like a real kind of conception of, of, well, what, how does that apply? What does that actually mean? Right. And, and what this stat is telling us is that mental health will have an actual impact on people's ability to function 
and move about the world. It absolutely is. I mean, mental mental illness is a disability. Yes. And a lot of people don't see it that way. When I'm in class and I'm struggling to be able to get through the lecture because we're reading about, you know, rape and it's causing an anxiety attack or when I'm trying to engage but I have, you know, people around me who are causing a certain amount of noise and it's causing me to have issues with fatigue or issues with my eyes. Like they may be mental health conditions, right? They might be anxiety, depression related. They might be PTSD related. They might have other issues that are mentally like in the mental illness column, but they absolutely affect my ability to function in the world. And I think that that's one of the things that really stresses me out a lot of times when people talk about like mental illness they always go well you look fine mm-hmm. well you seem okay girl you getting a phd and i'm like wow i just really want to <laughs> i want to punch you in the throat so bad i mean i really want to punch you in the throat it's like, it's <laughs> like you need to wear a sign or have it you know tattooed on your forehead listen i'm like and then the other thing that people don't understand is like a lot of high performers have a lot of mental illness issues a lot of us have neuroses that is what is going on with a lot of high performers because mm-hmm. we are working very, 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 very hard to do that stuff. And we often obsess over those things in ways that are not healthy. We don't sleep sometimes because we're so obsessed about those things. I know for me, my anxiety keeps me up very, very late at night and I wake up very early in the morning. I was dreaming about variables in coding this morning, variables in pizza. New York style pizza. New York style pizza. You know, and it's like, it's it's funny, but it's not funny when you can't get back to sleep, when you're physically in pain because you lay down at night to go to sleep and your brain is throbbing so hard that you can't actually lay down. I mean, like that's, that is a disability. I don't know what else you would call that. I don't know how you would refer to that besides a disability. I can't lay down. Like I can't actually move my body in ways that even allow me to get rest because yeah. of my anxiety. And, and I think it's hard for people to to take that seriously as like a disability as something that that is in, in, impinging upon your ability to right. function but it's real when when i get it like oh i stayed up late one night or i was up drinking and oh i'm hung hung over the next day like that's that's not a disability no honey when when it's weeks months years right of this same thing when i have chronic migraines when it's over and over grinding my teeth every night can't control my weight loss or gain. Right. This like, is, these are different. These are very different. It, it makes it incredibly difficult to function. Absolutely. And I think that, I really think that folks really have to start grappling with the fact that mental illness is absolutely a disability. And we have to start calling it that very, like, on very clear terms. And I, I think that's 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 one of the really important things to note about mental health and mental, mental, um, mental health issues is how they kind of show up in life, right? So we just talked about how it can be a cause of disability. One of the other stats that I that I pulled, um, mental disorders often lead to other health and societal problems, right? right? It often leads to HIV, heart or pulmonary diseases, diabetes, or an increased risk of homelessness, poverty, incarceration, or institutionalization. Now, here's my issue with this stat. Yes. I really don't like the idea that mental illness leads to HIV. Like, when I first saw that, I was like, girl, what I, what I gather from this is that there are Western medical structures that do not make themselves accessible to people with mental health issues. And therefore, they are more exposed yes. to 
You know, like it's like yes. we have to also talk about that in clear terms too, right? We have to talk about the lack of support and aid and resources, especially to people of color who have mental illness, who struggle every day with mental health disorders, and who I think about, you know, folks like Laquan McDonald. There's questions about whether or not he was struggling with a mental illness. There's questions about Quintonio Legrier, who we know was having at least some sort of mental health crises when Chicago PD came and shot him and his neighbor. And killed them both. I mean, I'm thinking about the fact that Betty Jones was a concerned neighbor who happened to open her door or whatever. When police, who clearly were not equipped to answer the call, needed to help address this young man who was working through a mental health crisis and ended up killing Betty Jones and Quintana LeGrier. When they were actually called to the scene to be helpful. You know? And like, mental illness does not cause HIV. Right. You know? Like... It might be linked to other kind of pulmonary diseases and diabetes and things like that because we all, we know that people who struggle with mental illness are also often shunned when it comes to interacting with the medical structure in this country, in particular in the U.S. You know, they're often not given the services that they need. They often are forced to have to interact with practitioners who don't want anything to do with them, dealing with, you know, pharmaceutical industry that overprices medications that are meant to gain them profit as opposed to actually meet the needs of people who actually are struggling through mental health disorders and issues every single day, mm-hmm. right? So it's not like mental health is like a causal mechanism for HIV. I hate when I hate when these health organizations and medical organizations use that language. Mental illness is not a causal variable in exactly. HIV. Like exactly. we're not going to do that. Like we're not going to shame folks who live with HIV or folks who have mental illness and say like somehow that there's some causal. No, we're all up underneath the same system. Like we're all up underneath the same system that tells us that our bodies are not worth service and aid and resources and care and that we're expendable and disposable. And I think, I think that's exactly what's behind that stat, right? For, for, for that stat to be there to say that, oh, well, you know, people with, with, with mental health disorders commonly also have like, like heart and pulmonary diseases or poverty or increased risk of homelessness. Of course they do. It's because the structures are not in place so for them to have a white heteropatriarchal capitalistic structure that hates all of us. Of course, right. of course we all got a whole bunch of shit. Like, <laughs> okay, y'all smart. Thank you. What is this? Journal of American Medical Association. <laughs> Thank you. (laughs) But I mean, but that's, I mean, that, that tells you how the society is is structured, right? It's, it's to say, you know, people that need certain types of care, we are not going to really give a shit about. Right. We're just going to kind of leave you to the wolves and put you at increased risk for, for certain things. Right. What that really to me is, it shows you beyond the veil of the American or Western medicine in general and the ways that not only do we not really care for folks with mental illness, we certainly don't care about them even when they have even more grave diagnoses that get them even closer to mortality, right? Right. It's like even when <laughs> even when they have diseases that are the ones that people pay the most attention to, the ones that people are having all these little sponsorships on Facebook, all these challenges where they put ice on their head mm-hmm. or whatever they do, you know, to try and raise money for. Even when folks with mental illness have those diseases, they still don't get the services that they need from Western medicine. They still have to deal with these industries and these hospitals and these, you know, big pharma or whatever in order to get the, the help that they need with with their mental conditions. Mm-hmm. Mental conditions that in most cases are very, very treatable. 
Very treatable. This is this is like this is that Obamacare argument, right? Where Obama was like, "Yeah, if we just treat people right early and like care for them and, and prevent their shit. general health, <laughs> it's way cheaper than if we like, oh shit, right? Their health is really messed up. If now we, we got- just like <laughs> give a shit. I mean, listen, it's not like Obama was like, I just love everybody. He also is a capitalist. He's a neoliberal capitalist, and yeah. he was like, yo. You actually save a whole lot of money, a lot more money if you just invest on the front end. Yeah. If you just get in on the market on the front end and prevent this shit, then you could actually keep some of that money in your pocket. I mean, and that's the thing too, is like, we have to also start talking about mental health in the larger framework of, you know, who's also providing the services and what incentivizes mm-hmm. them to even acknowledge mental health as a a real problem, you know, in air quotes, a real problem, you know? I think that there's a lot of under under the surface implicit language, you know, like dog whistly language with mental health and mental illness where it's like people just don't want to put no money there. It's not really for them. They don't seem to think that it's very, you know, economically feasible. And it's not really economically sexy and trendy and hot. Right. It's cuter to have a Alzheimer's, you know, bucket challenge. And no shade. Alzheimer's is, 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 is a horrible disease that needs to be eradicated. But just thinking about the fact that a lot of these diseases have a lot of big spokespersons. Like celebrity spokespersons, you know? And I'm trying to think my, through my head right now if I could think of like a big mental health celebrity spokesperson. If I can just come up with one. I've seen, I've seen, I want to say one of, one of these like former like Disney teen stars. They've come out and, and kind like of. Like Demi Lovato. Yeah. They've come out and talked about like depression. Like, right. I've seen people like that come out and talk about like depression and things like, like cutting. Yeah. But, but not, but. The problem is it's not treated to the same degree. Right. Right. It, it never becomes like a full. Like, no. There was a much bit like the whole bullying, anti-bullying oh, thing. Oh my goodness, yeah. Like was, is, has, has been and continues to be a much bigger like crusade. And not to say that bullying is not important. Right. It absolutely. Very is. important. But it's like. Right. We need people's minds to be right. Right. But then also when you think about something like bullying is like, don't you think that bullying is going to cause some type of mental health and anxiety issues? And we should probably think about the fact that after somebody's bullied, they might have some issues with PTSD right. or, you know, they might be a suicide risk. And we should probably think about what type of services are available to kids who are bullied and people who are bullied. And, right. you know, I just think I, I just I, I always get I always struggle because I feel like the conversation always ends. It's like this thing is trendy and hot and sexy. The end. Well, and and that brings me right to my next stat, actually. Right. Fifty um, percent of those who will ever be diagnosed with a mental disorder show signs of disease by age fourteen. Wow. Seventy-five by age twenty-five. Seventy-five. So by age twenty-five, seventy-five percent of people who are going to ever show in their whole entirety of their life some type of sign of mental disorder have already shown it. That's by, interesting. By twenty-five. That's interesting. That's I mean, really that's, that's almost, that's almost all. That's almost all. Yeah. And so this goes to, to the idea of like, well, what were the signs? Right. You know, through adolescence, that's when a lot, you know, people go through right. a lot. If, if someone was bullied, maybe that was a thing. You went through trauma in, in, in you right. know, your childhood and your teenage years. Right. I've, I've had a lot of issues in my childhood and my teenage years. Right. Like as you're growing up and you're kind of having those formative years, you go through a lot. You have a lot of trauma. Right. If we would treat those things early right we would give people support love and attention right 
early, right? So much would be prevented, right? And I, going through these stats, having this conversation, it's it's bewildering to me to to think about kind of the the hurt and and the pain that we're kind of just allowing to just right. continue, right? Just because we don't want to have the conversation, right? Because we want to be like, ooh, let's, you know, right? Because you don't want to. I think it's a twofold thing. I think there's stigma associated with mental health and mental illness. You are worried about diagnosing someone if you don't have the expertise to do so, right? Mm -hmm. So you're worried about like when I when I met you, I was like, I think he should see a therapist. I mean, I didn't I didn't have any idea what you what the outcome would be. I just felt like it might be good for you to go talk to somebody. Well, and and that's the thing, right? Right. If you're showing up for someone, if you're like, something don't seem right. You seem like you might have an issue. Right. Right. And I could have had, I could have just been having a bad day. But you could have gone off on me though. You could have been like, you know, you could have been like Ralph Angel on the last episode of Queen Sugar. <laughs> I don't do no therapy. I, don't know. I ain't do no therapy. <laughs> you know, and let's not, and let's, let's be real. Darla. <laughs> Darla. And let's be real. That that happens. It does. That happen. happens. That happens. And there is also a fear of like people don't want to have the stigma of 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 you know mental illness. And that's why we have to destigmatize it. I think that's part yes. of the thing about talking about it. That's why I talk about it so frequently. And I I talk about it in public. I talk about it everywhere. I talk about it on our blog. I talk about it with friends when we're eating our little bougie little snacks on campus at U Chicago. You know, we just talk about it because it is what it is. It is what it is. I take a lot of medications. I also take fish oil and all types of vitamin C's. I don't understand why I have to be stigmatized about the the anxiety medication, but not about taking, you know, it's, it keeps me alive. It's your health. It keeps me healthy. It keeps me alive and safe and healthy. And honestly, and honestly, we're, walk, we're walking through all these stats. And the stats are just really pointing to the fact that a lot of people have these mental health issues, and so we probably all need to be more concerned with our mental mental health. Right. And so now I actually want to get into talking through some of these black mental health stats. Right. So like, so we were just talking about some of the general ones, right? So those are those are stats that apply to anybody. Right. But now when we talk about what actually applies to black people, I right. think it gets a little bit more interesting. So according to the Health and Human Services Office of Minority Health. Mm-hmm. Black folk are 20% more likely to experience serious mental health problems than the general population. Listen. Right. So just just right there, right? So you can almost think about like all those stats we just talked about Child. and kind of ratchet those up a little bit when you talk basically, about black folk. That's, that's what you really mean. Everything we just talked about. Basically. Just turn that knob up a little bit. Basically. 20% more. And you know what? And that, that does not surprise me. It really yeah. doesn't surprise me. I mean, when you live up underneath white supremacy and anti-blackness every single day. And you be out here just trying to go to the grocery store, just trying to drive down the street. I mean, and especially when there's a, a large scale like political event that happens and the type of like surveillance and hypervigilance that you have to kind of navigate just to kind of be and breathe mm-hmm. like that stuff is traumatizing. It's traumatizing and re-traumatizing constantly. And that's why a lot of folks will say like self-care is important. And it seems to be like thing that we say now that it's just kind of like very common and like it's like oh self-care but no legit yeah turn this shit off turn off facebook get off twitter lay down watch bad movies eat popcorn and chocolate and like stay in the house sometimes because the world is really not made for us it's really not made for us it's really not it's really not it's made for not. us and um is constantly a place that seeks to annihilate us so that's twenty percent to me. I'm like, wow. I, I'm I'm I would have expected to actually be higher. 
than 20%. I'm like, we out here winning then. Well, I mean, honestly, that's that. When you think about it, that's talking about serious mental health issues. Right. So that's not... That's that's, that's not the day-to-day. Yeah, that's not every mental health issue. Right. That's that's specifically the serious ones. Got it. Got it. And even, I mean, even then, I'm, right. I'm, I kind of feel like that might even be a conservative number then. I think so, too. When you think about all the things like you were just saying, all the things that black folk have to face, all the things we have to witness and see with our own eyes. Right, right. You know, the conditions a lot of black folk have to live in on a day-to-day right. basis. These public lynchings on video that folks yeah, want I mean, to make us watch on autoplay, on Facebook, on Twitter. That's, I mean. Listen, and I don't watch them. I refuse yeah. to watch them. And it's like people don't realize that that stuff is really traumatizing and that stuff has psychological effects. It absolutely does. Right. And I, and I think, that, like, to the point that we're just talking about, I feel like a lot of the things that black people kind of go through, they're kind of dismissed and, and not really seen as things that have an impact on mental health. Right. So, like, like you're saying, like, th- those videos that come on autoplay, like, people need to realize that has a serious impact on, on your health. I mean, as, as you know, more and more of these videos started coming up, I kind of went through the same thing you did where it was like, I had to just stop. Yeah. I, I mean, haven't watched them. I don't know how many years it's been, but yeah. it's been years since I even allowed myself to watch any video. I think I've stopped since 2015. Yeah, I was able to to feel and see how they were actually having an effect on my own mental health. Right. And my own mental well-being. And I right. had to say, I can't do that anymore. Like, So I remember when, was it E from the Internet? Evelyn, yeah. Evelyn from the Internet? Yeah. When she had that video, when it was like calling in black to work tomorrow. Yep. And how it went viral. And I feel like she made that video, and I'm like, that shit is so real. Like, that shit, that's that's one of the realest, that's some real shit. When you're like, I gotta call in black. It's too much stuff going on in the world, and my blackness is set up in such a way that I need to stay home and lay down and recover, because uh, the world is uh, being the world. Well, and and that's actually, actually a really interesting point, because I mean... I've been having a lot of work issues, as you know. Yes. We talk about that a lot. Yeah. And there's a lot of times where I feel like me even not going into work is a big issue. Mm-hmm. And so I'll have these moments where I feel like I need to call out black. Mm-hmm. But then I'll be like, oh, but if I call out. What happens then? Then it's, you know, what happens? If I don't show up. And so like, what I'll do is I'll have these moments. I'll go into work and I'll be like, but it's a black day today. <laughs> I'm going to put my headphones in. I'm probably going to play Kendrick all day. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like I'm I'm going to have I'm going to have a black day for myself. Right. Because I need to have this moment. Right. Even 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 though even though I'm I'm forced to come into this job and do 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 my duty and do my work and I can't there's some things I kind of can't get around and I can't really take a full moment from all of my self-care. I'm going to take the bits and little pieces that I can. Right. Because there's some things that you do have to do for yourself. There are little pieces that you do need to kind of take back. I agree with that. I 100% agree with that. The reason why that gets me is because I feel like I'm always a big person that's like, I need to step away. I'm very big on stepping away. Like one of my old bosses, he hated that. I was like, I'm a frequent breaker. I get all my work done, but I'm not going to sit here for eight hours mm-hmm. looking at y'all, talking to y'all, doing work with y'all. I need to step away. For me, it's Jasmine Sullivan right now. I will play her on on loop, loop, loop. It's Silver Linings. I'll play it all day. I don't know what I, I don't know what the other song is about really, but yeah, Silver Linings. I mean, a couple of them. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe was it Hood Love? You know, I love me some Hood Love. Mm-hmm. That's what's up. Um, that's a bop. 
But no, I think that, you know, I think that that's one of the things too, is people don't realize like a lot of times they were like, especially during my first and second year of grad school, I would have to get on the road and play. Like it was Beyonce. It was like, I had to play, you know, yeah, yeah it, it literally for the that first lemonade album for the first, maybe my second year or and third year, it was like, I played lemonade every day and I had to play it really loud and like get myself physically ready. It was like, I was arming myself to go out there and face the white supremacists. You know, it was like, I had to get myself like, you know, it was like, you know, I mean, it, that's a, it's a form of meditation. It is. And you know how like at church, they had that whole breastplate of armor song. Yeah. <laughs> the, the breastplate of righteousness, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> like I feel like that's what lemonade has been. And, and, you know, to some degree, like, Kendrick got some little bobs that's like that too. For me, also, Chance the Rapper, Coloring Book will never, ever go, like, it'll always be great. Yeah. It'll always be wonderful. But, like, there's ways that we, I do think it's like meditation. It's like, it's like we, sometimes we have to, like, get ourselves centered. We have to go out and protect ourselves. It's like yeah. balm. Like, we're putting balm on ourselves to, like, it's, it's like, it's like spiritual shea butter. You know what I'm saying? It's like mental shea butter with Vaseline on top. Cause, you know, the Vaseline, yeah, it seals. It and, seals and it, it it helps in. When the when the punches come, it, right, it slides off. off. See, everybody black knows that. Yeah. If you're about to get a whooping, you put the Vaseline on because <laughs> the belt going to hit you, but it's going to slide <laughs> off. So it don't hurt as bad, right? It sounds worse, but it hurts less, right? It's the same way. So, like, you listen to your music, you got to get your little, you burn your sage or whatever you have to do to, like, balm yourself, to, like, yep. protect yourself. And I feel like listening to all this stuff today and, like, reading all these stats and stuff, I feel like that's what that's what we've been doing. That's what yep. we've been doing. And that's what we've, like, been acculturated to. And that's what our, like, our moms, grandma, sister, uncle, cousin, brother, that's what we've been conditioned and socialized to do in our communities is to, like protect ourselves in a lot of senses yeah. from from the shit the world's trying to do to kill us but I, but i think and that and that once again that takes me to the next step it's because i i really feel like all of that stuff is good and kind of like what i was saying like earlier was like i've kind of i at one point i kind of had like coped myself into oblivion because i had done every coping mechanism right but i feel like there also comes a point where we do kind of have to get some professional help in some instances. And I feel like, like you were saying, there, there's a stigma to that also. I of, agree. Oh, is that a weakness? Is there something wrong with you? Or, oh, that's not real. Or that's not a real, you know, that's not actually helpful. Or you know, there's all these things attached to it. Right. And, but we need to do that sometimes. Absolutely. We, we need to have that time for ourselves to actually walk through our issues and talk through some issues and, and have some own, some of our own kind of like personal growth. What I found in going through all these stats is that professionals are ill-equipped to attend to the needs of black people. Of course they are. Two percent less, actually less than two percent of the American Psychological Association members are black. Girl, less than two percent. I feel like I might know all of them too. I know because, <laughs> and it's funny, right? Because, because like you got your therapist and I got my therapist. We went to school with some therapists. But it's fun, like it's funny though because I know every time when we when we've tried to like find a therapist, it's like we go on this hunt. Right. It's like okay. Let let me find the black therapist, and it's like you you digging through all the records, and you're trying to look through the names. Like right. Who got Jenkins on the last name? Right, who Williams. The, who you know you Alexis. To, you know, no, you hunting. Right. Because because they're just rare. Right. But there's also a need, especially as people that have seen multiple therapists. Right. You kind of get that there's some things your therapist just don't get unless right. they kind of have that shared experience. I agree. There's some things you don't want to have to like 
spending spend your hour that you're paying for explaining to someone that someone who's black gonna get right I agree. right off the jump i like, agree i get what you're going through like listen miss doubtfire <laughs> miss doubtfire you're best. i'm not about to sit here and explain white supremacy to you just believe me it exists <laughs> moving on you know there, there's there's something to that there's there, there's there's some trust there you're of right. like you go through the same thing that I experienced, so you understand. So when right. I'm explaining it to you, and I'm saying how it's affecting me, right. you're like I get it, right. and I'm a trusted advisor, and I can help guide you through how to how to kind of cope with it and maybe find some solutions. I agree. Right? I feel like we need that as Black people. We absolutely do. And when we say that less than two percent of all the available, you know, therapists are those people, right? That's very disconcerting. It's a shame. But then I'm also wondering how many Black folks actually seek help from therapists. And also who has access to do so because that stuff yeah. is expensive. It's and if expensive. you don't have regular access to like employee-based medical coverage and now there's all these threats to Obamacare, like you might not have money to actually go. That's why I like these services that they have now where it's like you can text a therapist and you can get someone to talk to and you know, these community-based services that give you access to therapy and that stuff is, is vital to me because I'm just like... I can't imagine, like, if I, I always say, I always say this, I always say this, like, marriage has been a great contract for me. This was a great contract. This was a great idea in terms of being able to access your services and your ability <laughs> to pay for shit. <laughs> like, oh, I'm, I'm, a, I'm money bags. That's what I am. Listen, listen, at various stages of this relationship, one of us has been money bags. It's not, it's not been consistent that both of us has. Very it true. just hasn't. And, you know, that's one of the great things about this partnership is that you often have really great medical coverage. And so as somebody with like a lot of, you know, health needs, that's where my ability is to access mental health providers and practitioners. I don't know that that's a common thing. We know the stats on folks, you know, especially black and, and low income folks having access to medical care. It's not quality medical it's not good. It's not good. And when I when I hear this stuff, it makes me very concerned because I'm like, we say seek help, but it's like, well I mean, there's really not a lot of affordable solutions for that, especially when you out here trying to get to work, you trying to eat, trying to take care of your kids or whatever it might be. You're trying to survive, right? You're like you're trying to do that stuff. And you and you're trying to deal with whatever mental health Right. You might be facing. right, right, and and trying to figure out how to actually set aside money and time, money and time. And people time. don't understand. This always gets me. Like wealthy people be like, "Oh, well, just go see so and so," or just you know, when Amanda Seals was like, "Just travel, just get a passport and travel." I'm like, "Okay, child. Mm-hmm. Okay, I gotta set aside time to actually go on a vacation. I gotta buy a passport. I gotta buy a plane ticket. I gotta get there. I gotta take all my clothes. I gotta get up time off of work." You, do you understand what it means to be low income or working class in America as a person of color today? Do you have any idea? Any idea? And when we tell like poor people, young, poor people, we tell black people, older black people, when we talk about black folk, the range of blackness, you know, mm-hmm. to just go, just go get help. It's really not that easy. It's really wow. not. And that's what concerns me too, is like thinking about how we destigmatize, but then how we also start thinking about community-based resources to make help more accessible. Like what you hear? You can find my mom and dad, aka that black couple, on the web at 
thatblackcouple.com. You can find them on Facebook at That Black Couple, and you can find them on Instagram and Twitter at That BLK Couple. If you have questions or comments about the show, email them at thatblkcouple at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. Now it's time for the reflection. Is it? It is. Okay. So, historically, black folk have distrust in Western medicine. Right. There's a lot of good uh, good reasons for that. Rightfully so, yeah. A lot of black people have been really, you know, just abused. Absolutely. Misused. Absolutely. In a lot of terrible, horrific ways. Tuskegee and a whole bunch of other stuff. A whole myriad of ways. Yes. And so, there's a lot of good reason for that. Mm-hmm. And I think what that kind of leads to is a lot of black people then kind of lean on religion or or a lot of other means to kind of get the things that they need. Right. And so one of this is one last kind of stat that I kind of want to just sneak in there at the mm-hmm. end. I know this is not what we usually do, do in the reflection, but I wanted to kind of slide this in. Breaking the rules. Breaking the rules a little bit. Rule breaker. Um, <laughs> one one last thing that I that I noted in my research was that and this is part of a study that was done. Eighty five percent of black people describe themselves as fairly religious or religious, mm-hmm. and that their most common way to handle stress was through prayer. Yeah. Yeah. And it's that's one of those things where it's like you hear that and it's like I see it. You yeah. know, a lot of black people prayer, go to church. Prayer is technically meditation. It, it it is meditation. Yeah, you know, centering oneself. Nothing wrong with prayer. Deep you belief. Know. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe in God. I Same pray. Here. I don't see nothing wrong with that. We do it together. Yeah, sure. When it's phrased in that way, of their most common way to handle stress is through prayer. Right. I think that's where I then become a little bit concerned. Right. Because I, th- I think the act of prayer is a good thing. Like right. you said, it's 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 a form of meditation in some ways. It is a way to cope through stress, I think, in, in some ways. As your common way of coping through stress, I don't know if that's necessarily the most most healthy way. Yeah. I, I, when, I, when I think about prayer... I don't think that's necessarily like the answer to everything. No, it's not the answer to everything. It certainly is not. You know, I think I think a lot of times people treat prayer like it's like a home remedy. Like it'll just it'll cure like every tussing. illness. Yeah, like like it's it's castor oil, it's Epsom salt, you know. Yeah. So you know, soak them some Epsom salt, you know, rub some castor on it, you know, drink that. Take some tussin. Take you know, just take you know, you know, throw it back, you right. know, and it'll, you know, it'll set your bones. It'll, yeah. it'll, it'll, you know, work wonders. And right. I, I just, I don't, I don't think that's a, that's a healthy way to kind of approach every single thing that you might face Especially in your life. Especially not mental health, because we know that that's chemical. Right. That's it's, chemical. It's, it's an actual, it's a, it's a medical condition. Right. And we don't pray over a broken elbow. Like we don't be like, oh, I hope yeah, that knee sets. You can, you can, and here, and there's, here's well, the actually, thing about it. actually, we do because yeah, you do pray. I've been up in a church before and had people <laughs> with actual ailments, and I've been like, we're just gonna pray over that. Well, and and, then, and they do, and I'd be like, are they gonna also go to the doctor though? Like the, that's the problem, right? <laughs> there's nothing. That's what I'm saying. There's nothing wrong with prayer. You pray. Right. I think you should pray. It's a good thing to do. Right. You know, you want God to intervene. You pray and you ask for God to intervene on your right. behalf. Right. But prayer but is nothing also, without the act. Right. You got to act. But then asterisk. You know, you, <laughs> faith is dead. Without the works. Without the works. You got to right. have the works too. Right. And so you can't you can't just act like prayer, prayer is just going to make, make everything happen for you. You got to have some action and some motion. And, and prayer is really passive. Yeah. 
And I think that's the thing is it's a it's a passive thing. So if there's any type of, of mental health issue that's occurring, if there's any type of some like egregious amount of stress that you're going through, right? Prayer is a very passive way of trying to cope and deal with it. I agree, and I also think that that's part of the the reason is partly because you can't see mental illness, like you can't right. see again air quotes. You can't look at someone always and see, oh, they're suffering from anxiety, right? And so with prayer, it's like easy. It's like, I'm going to pray for you, girl. I'm going to pray for you because I don't really know what's going on inside your body. And I really can't figure out the rest of the stuff that you might need. And I don't really know what else to say. So, right. You know, but like if somebody's foot is turned around backward. You need to go to somebody who can turn your leg back the direction it's supposed to be. You know, like I feel like stuff like that, you know, it's it's. It's visceral. It's visceral. And I feel like, I don't, I mean, not to make light of it, but I agree. Like, I know that a lot of folks don't know how to show up for people with mental illness. You know, they don't know how to say, like, what do you need from me? How can I help? How can I make myself available? You know, is there anything that I can do for you or do you just need space? And if you don't need space, you know, do you want me to just come sit next to you and say nothing? Or like, you know, want to sit on the couch and cry? Or when we come bring you some ice cream or, you know, like people don't understand that that stuff goes a really long way. Like I had some really great friends who would come and bring me a card in the Rocky Road ice cream and just let me sob into it. That's some great shit. Like (laughs) sometimes that's all you need. Sometimes all you need, you know? And like, I'm sure they also may, maybe have prayed for me. I'm not sure. But in that moment, them praying for me would not have had the material effect that it had for me when they were sitting next to me and being present with me in my life with that card in the Rocky Road ice cream. Exactly. You know? But I don't know. I think also, like, you know, in my reflection, I was thinking about the ways that this is a gendered conversation as well and reading about how black women often struggle with mental illness at higher rates than black men. Mm Mm-hmm. Again, I don't like the binary, but most of the data is is reported along the binary. So um, I'm, I'm I would argue that folks who are not along the binary probably have higher rates of mental illness than folks along the binary, just having to deal with all of our cis hetero cis normative bullshit all the time. Yes, and having to deal with a, a world that erases folks who are gender nonconforming and just not along the binary. Um, but the stats that I am seeing is that folks who are uh, black women are more likely to have uh, mental illness, but are less likely to receive treatment. And that's partly because of this idea of the superwoman. Oh, black women can do it all. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're just capable. They're the mules of the world, they're the beasts of burden, and they can just they can accomplish anything. And I was thinking about that and how our pain is often not recognized. You know, it's not recognized as pain. Like that, it goes back obviously to like the long history of like enslaved days where black women were thought to be able to have, you know, superhuman abilities to deal with pain. You know, they would do really fucked up shit, gynecological shit to black women's bodies. And they would argue, knowing full well that this was all bullshit, but that it was because black women um, were more animalistic and didn't have the same type of pain as white women. And so they could withstand these medical procedures with like no, no type of anesthesia. And they would do these horrific things to black women's bodies. And actually black women's bodies became like the canvas upon which 
modern medical science for OB, OB-GYN science today is from a lot of black women's actual like sacrifice. And it made me think about the ways that black women are kind of like often expected to deal with mental illness, but not just deal with it, not to just cope with it, but to just kind of like supersede it. Like not only do you have a mental illness and like it's your struggle with depression or your struggle with anxiety or multiple forms of PTSD, I need you to go ahead and go to work and do more and do extra and do shit that nobody else is expected to do. I need you to take care of kids and have fewer resources at worse off schools. You need to get paid less and live in places that are less safe. Like (laughs) I'm going to pull all the rugs out from underneath you. And then you also supposed to just have this mental illness that you're dealing with and just cope, girl. Mm-hmm. You got this. Stand up straight, firm and tall. Girl, put that cape on, put it out your chest with your little superhero on little, your little letter on the chest and do what you got to do. And this is why, this is why, you know, black women are out here dying. Yeah. Out here dying. You know, it, it rates that don't make any sense. You know, it ages that don't, don't make any sense over, you know, heart disease and dying from things like type two diabetes when I've seen, I've seen young women, young women with no history of cancer in their family die of cancer at 20, you know? Shame. And I, and I think about the ways that all of these things are interconnected, you know? And it's like, what if, what if we actually had an ethos where we actually centered folks who were the most at risk for our shit, right? If we had an ethos in society where we actually centered the folks who were most at risk for mental illness who are most at risk for cancer and diabetes and heart disease and Alzheimer's, you know, if we actually said, Hey, you know, folks, you know, queer folks, trans folks, gender nonconforming folks, we don't want you homeless. We don't want you out on the street. We actually want you to live. What if we actually had an ethos that actually said we want everybody to live? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that be amazing? Wouldn't that erase this entire podcast episode? (laughs) It would. <laughs> <laughs> like, why did you record that? We wouldn't it's even all have false. to. We wouldn't even have to. All right, y'all. So, World Mental Health Day is October 10th, and World Mental Health Awareness Week started on October 2nd. If you are having a mental health crisis or need to talk to someone about how you are feeling, call 1 800 273 TALK. That's 1 800 273-8255 for the suicide helpline or call 1-800-950-NAMI. That's 1-800-950-6264 or text N-A-M-I to 741-741. You can go to NAMI.org for more information and resources from the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Thank you for listening. And before you go, make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at that BLK couple on Facebook at that black couple and look us up on the internet at www.thatblackcouple.com. You can stream episodes on Google play, Apple iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. And please rate us high because we would really be upset if you do not. Okay. Bye.